0: Hey what's up Surf Splendor listeners, this is your host David Scales, welcome back to another episode of Surf Splendor, the second one in a week. So uh, as I said last time, bringing you a lot of fresh content in 2014, we've got Anatomy of a Surf Trip coming up, Um, we've got an interview with Tony Roberts, kind of famed filmmaker and photographer from Santa Cruz, um, back in the kind of late... 80s early 90s um and then relocated down to costa rica for the last couple decades so real good interesting interview with tony um more shapers more surfers uh all sorts of stuff coming your way but today got another episode with scott bass of surf news so i hope you enjoy that scott and i uh have committed to doing every other week regularly on wednesdays so um Hold us to that. You know, if we don't bring you this new podcast every other Wednesday, then send us some hate mail, send send us some tweets, and uh, hold us accountable. All right? I think that's it. As you know, um, share the show with a friend. You know, that's the best way to invest in the secure future of this show. The more people listening, the more shows we'll be able to produce. And uh, so I appreciate you doing that. And then, of course... Follow us on social media at Surf Splendor and then just repost or share whatever we post there and that's, you know, a good way to share the show. So anyways, enjoy the show today and uh, I'll close us out at the end. Thanks. Bye. Hey, welcome everybody down the line.
1: Surf Talk Radio, Scott Bass and David Lee Scales with you here on a January 22nd, it's a Wednesday. Uh, the waves are big. We've been on hiatus for about three weeks or more, maybe a month. And um, we apologize, but we are allowed to have our time. And um,
0: David, welcome, my friend. Thanks so much, dude. Welcome back to you. It's yeah. really good to be back. I've gotten a lot of uh, emails and stuff wondering where we are and what's going on. So it feels good to be back in the in the swing of things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah. How do we kick the show off? Do you want to give some basic insight real quick? Um, well, we should cover the the details,
0: <clears throat> I guess. Um, my name's David Scales. My podcast, aside from this one that we simulcast together, is called Surf Splendor. and it features interviews um, with shapers and surfers, and it's just conversations about surfing. Not so much a news uh, report like we do here. And so Surf Splendor Podcast is that website social media at surf splendor so you can find all that stuff there um and then and then what about you yeah about...
1: scott bass here um let's see i was the uh, online editorial director at surfer magazine for about seven and a half eight years and now i produce the boardroom surfboard show we've got a big show coming up may 17th and 18th in del mar the entire Surfboard industry is going to be together uh, under one roof to celebrate. <coughs> excuse me, surfboards and the craft and uh, the culture of surfing, and it's going to be good stuff. And of course, down the line, Surf Talk Radio uh, is my podcast, and you can find that at downthelineradio.com. Downthelineradio.com. That's that'll give you everything you need to know. All my social media stuff's on there, and um, I guess we could kick this off with uh, the big wave season. Sure, if you'd like. Yeah, Um, sure. As you know, the Quicksilver Eddie I Cow was was had a yellow alert to run perhaps today or tomorrow, and they've given the um, sort of the red stop sign on that. They're not going to hold the Quicksilver in memory of Eddie I Cow, the big wave event at Waimea Bay.
0: Well, they're not going to hold it with this swell that's hitting currently, but it's still on call basically. Yeah,
1: until uh, like February twenty eighth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you know there's really been the last week there's just been a ton of big waves here from the northeast pacific storms that have been developing and hawaii has been getting a bunch of them and um, we here in southern california all of california all the west coast has been getting a lot of really big waves and uh, although the eddy is a no-go and it's a no-go because basically the system was too close to hawaii and it's created a lot of unfavorable winds i don't know have you seen the The wet the surfline cam for Y today. No, I didn't. Well, today's the day that it's like massive. Yeah, and and it's so massive. I want to say they had a reading of um, 26 feet at 19 seconds. Okay, which is which is gargantuan. Yeah, you know, I think the last really large reading in '98, somebody posted that they had one of 25 feet at 25 seconds. So we've got 26 feet at 19 seconds. That was the peak of the buoy reading. But, of course, on top of that, now we have these really crazy strong winds. So so what
0: did the cams look like today?
1: It just looked like chaos. Oh, okay. You know, out of control chaos, like a storm front, like you would see here, like a low-pressure system moving through with onshore winds. And there, the big concern there was the um, houses right along the beachfront. Yeah. You know, those can get swamped out and flooded. And,
0: um, Freddie Pino's. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, exactly. So um so is that a jaws swell then is that where everybody's headed i don't know about
1: today but um as you know uh, you know there's been back to back to back jaws yeah. swells and um, there's been some crazy some crazy jaws action I, i'm sure you saw billy kemper's ride where he gets an incredible tube ride there's there's yeah. one youtube clip that's actually i'll just break it out now it's my must-see tv oh, moment okay. and um i'll post that on downthelineradio.com and And David will have it on surfsplendorpodcast.com as well. And it's, um, you know, I did some YouTube search for Billy Kemper. There's a great one on on Surfline. Mm -hmm. But I was doing some YouTube searches of the same way from a different angle. And there's one clip that has three rides back to back to back. It's Billy Kemper, somebody else, and Ian Walsh. And they're all three getting incredible tubes of Jaws paddling in. And uh, it's been interesting, you know, that for, it seemed like forever Jaws was this unpaddleable uh, spot. You know, it was... uh, just assumed that all you could do was tow. And, you know, a couple years ago, there was some paddling. Last year, there was a lot of paddling. And now it's like, that's all they're doing out there is paddling. And um, it must be a thing where, look, the waves aren't quite
0: large enough, so it's a paddling event, and the wind is light, and that helps a lot. That's Yeah, I read an interview with Shane Dorian a month or two ago. I think it might have been the one that Stab Magazine did. But he was saying, basically, that it's so unusual to get favorable winds there which has allowed them to paddle he's like in the past they would have tried paddling as well even when toe surfing was more popular but um they didn't get the wins for it and so i don't know why now in the last year or two they seem to be getting favorable wins um, another thing is just that uh well i don't know which whether um the interest in paddling came first or board builders came first but they're building bigger boards now than they ever have before and bigger blanks are being produced which weren't previously and so now they just have the equipment available you know that they didn't before yeah you bring
1: up a great point because um that's the one thing that i've noticed is i think that there's been uh you know a large leap in big wave paddling jaws type surfboard design like what they're doing with the bellies of the boards yeah these are you know this is a different realm and they they require different bottom contours and stuff like that and And you can really notice it when you watch these three waves. You watch Billy Kemper's board and, um, you know, I'm not exactly sure what's in the bottom contour or how it's designed, but I know that um, it must be an interesting time to be one of these big wave shapers that's making these boards for these guys because I think they're going through a lot of unique changes and they're finding out a lot of neat stuff.
0: Yeah, I talked to Eric Arakawa and Pat Rossen about it a while back, like last year, I think, and they were saying that, you know, the blanks that they had available previously simply weren't big enough and even in shaping machines can't accommodate a 12 foot long gun you know so um they've had to modify that and have blanks produced that can now accommodate and so yeah now that that's available and kind of more available i guess to the mainstream you know we'll start to see more guys doing it so we've had these
1: great paddle days at jaws and i guess you know, my question to you, David, is um, you know, do you think Red Bull is bombed that they basically canceled the Red Bull Piaji Jaws paddling event, which had this crazy waiting period of like three years, and um, last year they pulled the plug on it just figuring, you know what, it's, it's just a bad idea. Well, um, why did they pull the plug? Well, why is it a bad idea? Well, that's a good question, yeah. and I think the reason that they pulled the plug... They said it was just kind of like, well, look, it's, it's probably going to be hard to logistically pull it all off. But I think that there was some political stuff. I think, oh, okay. you know, Hawaii is a political beast. Um, each island's got its own little um, group of power brokers, if you will. Yeah. And, and I think that uh, on top of the fact that you do have, uh, it's, we thought it was rare to get paddling days at Jaws, although we've been getting a bunch right. of them. Uh, it was certainly uh, thought that it was going to be rare to get that day. And all the logistics of getting the webcast set up on this area that's, you know, sort of semi-private public land. And it's very, you know, they don't want it to be overrun with people gawking at the event. And and so the production of the webcast and and um, on top of, of course, then the, the, the political stuff that I talked about, I think that there's a lot of people that were like, this is lame. Let's not do this. You know, the power yeah. types there. And there were some that were like, hey, we're getting paid. We're doing it, you know. And, sure. and I think that... When push came to shove, it was like, you know what, for the for the sanity of the island, let's just not do this thing. And Red Bull kind of went, you know what, it's probably a good idea. We're going to
0: catch as much backlash from this as we will positive uh, spin. It's hard to say. I mean, they <clears throat> might catch local backlash, but they'll get a lot of mileage out of it in terms of marketing dollars. I, I mean, the, the marketing, the <laughs> media that was produced out of just the invites that went out, you know, they were really cool boxes that they sent to everybody. Um, and the YouTube videos that were posted from that and the hype surrounding it, I feel like they probably sold enough energy drinks to make it worth their while, you know, you don't want to burn the local community. That's not a good business model either. But, um, yeah, I'd be surprised if they, if it wasn't worth their investment, you know, I would think like, look at the, the flutog that they do, the Red Bull flutog where they do those flying contraptions, you know, it's just a big, crazy circus basically, but that is their business model. Is creating these circuses, and then they don't need to sell advertising because everybody's posting YouTube videos about it. Yeah, I, re- so. I remember talking about this um, when it first
1: came out, and and um, and I think my take then was that you know what they've already gotten their their pull out of this because yeah, of maybe what they have. you talked about the pre-event stuff that they pushed out there was so powerful. Right. But it's like look, they don't even need to hold it; they've already won.
0: That yeah, that is true. Is I don't I almost don't remember that they didn't hold the event. You know what I mean? I just remember there was an event, whether it took place or not, almost as irrelevant.
1: Yeah. I think there was like a small little press release or even if not that, they, some, you know, one of the magazines did a little of Q and A with Ian Walsh and he just said, yeah, we're not doing it. You know, it wasn't a big, Hey, we've pulled the plug. Right. But they did pull the plug on it. And, uh, you know, in hindsight, you're wondering, gosh,
0: they could have had it two or three days in a row. Right. Well, let me ask you this. I'm talking about local politics. Everybody who posts anything on Instagram about surfing there always thanks a group called Skull Base Everything. Have you seen that or are you familiar? Yeah, I've seen the tag. Yeah. Yeah, Um, and I guess that's the local crew that organizes and maybe runs um, uh, rescue on skis and stuff. Do you know anything about them or who they are or what they're doing?
1: You know what, I'm going to put it on you for the next yeah. show, to let's get some more insight into that, because I, I'd be remiss if I told you I knew what it was about. I think you're right on target. It probably is the local crews of guys. I know um, oh God, the guy's name skipped me, but I've met him and paddled with him before. He's a really cool guy. Oh, Archie Calepa. Okay. Archie Kalepa is sort of the man on Maui. Okay, uh, he's a the waterman there. He's a lifeguard. He's probably the head lifeguard, and he's the guy that you got to get. One of the guys that I know of. There might be more, but he's definitely the guy that
0: you got to get his blessing. And he might be Skull Base everything. I don't know, but we'll find out. Everybody seems reverent of Skull Base everything. You know, like they're like, "Hey, thanks so much." <laughs> yeah. And so, but I don't feel like it's a um, like it's patronizing. No, or, yeah. no. I feel like it's you know they need you need some sort of um a governing not a governing body but a rescue team or just knowledgeable people. Yeah. When you're in a situation like that and so that seems to be who they are. But yeah, I'll definitely it'd be easy enough to look into. I just I, I never even thought of it consciously. It just kind of bubbled up in my subconscious, you know, and so that's the only reason I bring it up. Well, there's more um
1: on our plate here regarding the big wave season because although Eddie was supposed to go today or tomorrow and it's been canceled and and they've got these great days at Jaws. Um, everything is lined up for an incredible day of surfing on Friday at the uh, Body Glove Mavericks Invitational. Yeah, Body Gloves back in the game, huh? Yeah. That's so, awesome. And GoPro. I think GoPro is oh, involved okay. too. So those two companies sponsoring the big uh, big wave surf event there at Mavericks at Half Moon Bay. And again, it seems as if everything is lined up perfectly yeah. for a pretty incredible day. Of maverick surfing you may recall the last event at mavericks was was beautiful gorgeous glassy but maybe not real Mavericks, so to speak you know not as I think big it was as it like 12 been. to 18 and they're right. thinking we're looking at um you know 25 to 30 foot waves on friday with really great conditions like we've had in california here for the past like
0: two years I, I just saw before i left the house today too that they're going to be running it on television I don't know if it's just locally or if it's on a cable. Network, no, it's yeah, what? it's on um, it's on a national it's national oh, and okay. it's live. Okay. And it's
1: on universal uh, yeah, Universal Sports Network, which oh, okay. is on Time Warner Cable, it's on Cox, it's on Verizon. So you'll have to uh, seek you know, it out. Yeah, right? look look through your own cable company and find out where Universal Sports Network is on your channel guide there. But it's gonna be live, it's gonna be the last few heats, probably the semis and the final. Cool. Um, but yeah, that's interesting and um, certainly the first time in the history of big wave surfing that we've got live coverage yeah. of an event. Do you
0: know the structure of the contest? I do. How, how do heats run and points work? Yeah. Um, well,
1: vaguely, I know that there's four six-man heats. There's 24 guys invited, and it's just a 50% advancement to a six-man okay. final. Okay. And if you go on to uh, Mavericks Invitational, you can see the the heat draw. I was going to, you know send you an email and say, hey, let's pick a winner, but it's really like, it's kind of a crapshoot, oh, yeah. you know, and, and I will say this though, as far as picking a winner there, all these guys charge big waves really good, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they're all capable, so I always look at it like, well, who's the competitive guy? Like, who's, who's worn the jersey many, many times and knows not just to catch big waves and which waves to catch, but knows how to compete in, in an event, and so there's guys like Peter Mel one of those guys. He and, won it last year, right? Um, yeah, he did. He's he did, a defending yeah. champ and uh, Grant Baker is one of those guys. And and then there's guys like, um, Grant Washburn, who's like a legendary guy out there, but I wouldn't necessarily say he, you know, he did a whole, you know, season of NSSA events in
0: high school and in college, like some of these other guys who are just competitively savvy. You know, it's funny. Um, I would take the opposite approach. I think that competitive savvy has less value at Mavericks than anywhere else in the world, probably. And I would think that um, local knowledge probably triumphs all. Well,
1: I would agree with that. But I'm sort of saying, look, if it's a le- they all have the local knowledge. That's why they were invited, because it's but, an invitation. So they all have that. So then if if they're all in this level field, assuming, and I'm assuming that they all have that local knowledge, then which of those guys then is the competitive beast?
0: Yeah, I understand that. I would say that... Uh, Mark Healy, for example, was invited last year. I don't know if he he's, was He is. He's he invited. Is. Okay. Yeah. So he's surfed there before, but I would I would not say that he has local knowledge uh, compared to Jeff Clark. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's there's a lot of different levels of local knowledge. Well, you know? I, and
1: I, I, when I saw Healy on there, I go, that's a guy that's not going to do well because I don't see him as a competitive beast. He's just a yeah. free surfer, big right. wave guy. Right. But there's guys like Zach Wormhout who surfed in... You know, high school and college and before that, all through Santa Cruz at the Steamer you know, wherever, he was just a competitive guy. Yeah. He's a guy that I would look at and go, you know what? He could win this thing. I think it's up for grabs. Any of those guys who are invited could definitely win it. Well, you look at past winners and, um, you know, Flea is a guy that had competitive savvy. He Mm -hmm. he was a guy that's um, been through the competitive realm. Uh, Greg Long. Yeah. Greg Long won the NSA Nationals at Lowers. Yeah. You know, in three foot waves or whatever it was. Um, what is your paper? Peter Mell. What does your paper say about Slater right there? It um, said that I was at the event. I, I was going to tell you that if you get a chance, David, to go up there and get on the boat, and you might be able to pull it, you've got yeah. some pull. You should do it. It's okay. really, really exciting. Right. You, you need to make some calls and do some stuff and talk to the wife and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you ever get a chance to go up there and get on a boat and go out there and watch the event, it's incredible. And I did it the year Slater was in the event. Oh, okay. And, um, and it was awesome. You know, Flea won the event that year. And it was mean and cold and beasty and onshore. And, um, and it's just a really crazy event to see up, up close and personal.
0: Is Slater invited this
1: year? Slater's not in it.
0: Okay. No. Um, Did you see the Mavericks documentary that came out this past year? I'm not sure that... It doesn't ring a bell. Okay. It came out... I didn't watch the whole thing. Surfer Magazine had it for free for like a day, 24 hour, you know? Yeah. And now it's available on iTunes. But um, in that day, I watched 30 minutes of it. I didn't watch the whole thing. But it's a documentary specifically focused on the wave itself at Mavericks. Uh And... um, the part that was most intriguing to me from what I watched was the interviews with Jeff Clark about him pioneering the spot and surfing it for 15 or 20 years by himself. Yeah. Which is insane. Yeah. I mean, to surf a wave that big by yourself is crazy, but to understand the heavy, wa- the um, remoteness of it and the great white shark situation and the frigidness of the water and the long distance paddle out and he talked about a time where he got a um, huge wipeout lost his board his board rather than going in got kind of blown across the bay and out to sea he swam the bay by himself to go get his retrieve his board you know and just insanely crazy stories
1: yeah, it's it really is a great story. It's it's almost a uh, you know a love story. You could say you know Jeff and this wave because he, is, he really yeah. nurtured this thing and he started out with baby steps and went out there and then you know eventually he was riding waves and then he was tackling larger ones and he went through all the seasons and all the all of the character changes in that wave and he you know he fell in love with the wave and it's it's a it's a great it's a really
0: unique story. Isn't it? it is. That's a good way of putting it because it takes something more than just commitment. To surf a wave like that for ten, literally ten years by yourself, yeah, insane. Yeah, so well, um, one
1: other um, sort of interesting big wave thing, yeah, that, that's totally off the radar is that the Nelscott Reef event happened uh, yesterday or the day before in Oregon, and this is a big wave event that used to be on everyone's radar. It was part of the Big Wave World Tour. Um, this year, it just sort of got left by the wayside basically it's just a bunch of local guys that are doing it now and it's kind of neat that it's that way like yeah. it's a truly um local community hardcore big wave event the waves were 25 feet at Nelscott Reef and they held the event and this guy named Jeremy Rasmussen wow. won the event and um you know who I just found I just found that to be kind of an interesting thing you know that that this guy that these what there was 24 guys um Twelve surfers, actually. Oh, okay. Twelve surfers in 20 to 25 foot waves. And they competed against each other, and the winner got a 1000 bucks. and it was all totally under the radar and happened. And, and again, in the past, this was, you know, they had the big alert and the yellow, green light, red light, and all the PR and everything. And I just saw it. Oh, they just ran it. No one knew about it. where did you even read about it? Surfer's
0: Village. Okay. Surfer's Village is a website. It's a great sort of portal for surf news. Dude, Do, did... Um... The organizers of the event send the press release to them? Or did they have a reporter there that covered it? Or That's
1: exa- I copied and pasted. It's three pair four paragraphs of about one sentence each, basically saying, we held it, here's what the waves were like, yeah. and here's who won.
0: It looks like they probably sent out the press oh, release they did. explaining oh, yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, it was all self-generated. For Crazy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Were there photos or anything? Yeah, there was one photo of just, you know,
1: <laughs> random, like, lineup shot. You know, nobody's... You know, it was just very... Super gorilla under the radar That's surfing and twenty to twenty-five foot waves.
0: Um, in regards to this swell that we've been having in Cal- on the West Coast, yes, uh, in the Pacific Ocean, have you been getting waves during it? I have. Yeah, where well, you
1: surfing? Been... I've been surfing at my home spot, um, and it's been pumping, and I've you know we've been getting a lot of big waves, and it's uh, been good though. Yeah, it's been real good. Okay. it's been really really good and super fun and. You know, like any Southern California wave, it gets crowded and, uh, you know, it is what it is.
0: Yeah. In North. So for the listeners, um, Scott's in San Diego County. I'm in Orange County, Huntington Beach area. I'm sorry about that. I know. Well, for this swell direction, it's really not ideal. I know that was a joke, but in all, in all (laughs) seriousness, it's not ideal for this swell direction. Um, Sometimes a year it's better than others, but right now it's like, there's all this swell running and you seriously end up driving around for an hour and a half and you can't find anywhere to surf. It's just giant walled, closed out sets from Seal Beach down to San Clemente, essentially, you know, or, or Dana Point at least. So it's, uh, it's frustrating. I bet. Yeah. So been been sorry. spending a lot of time in the car. <laughs> I'm sorry <for> that. <laughs> You're yeah. waiting for me to invite you down? Is that what this is? <laughs> Where's your local
1: spot? I noticed you left it nameless there. <laughs> I did. Out of respect for my friends and the 70 other guys that are out there. <laughs> but I guess that's a great segue right into the next thing, which sure. I think you know what it is. If you know, is. I'm going to leave that segue there. you got to follow up. What do you think the next topic is?
0: Oh, gosh. I don't local know. spots? Luna- Lunata Bay, perhaps? <laughs> yeah.
1: That's exactly right. The Lunada Bay takeover. Maybe you have some more insight into who, what, yeah. why, and when, and how. Can you answer those five questions for our listeners?
0: Yeah, I will. Uh, background on the spot, first of all. Lunada Bay, um, located on the northwest tip of the Palos Verdes Peninsula. So, Palos Verdes is kind of a headland that separates Orange County from Los Angeles County in Southern California. Um It gained notoriety in 1962 after Greg Knoll surfed some 18-foot waves out there and later compared it to Waimea Bay. Um, It remains Southern California's best big wave spot, but it also remains the most highly localized spot. And really, that's what it's best known for, is its localism rather than um, the waves itself. And basically, Palos Verdes is a pretty affluent area, so... The
1: short
0: short story is that a bunch of trust fund babies are the locals who run this spot and they don't let anybody else surf there. And it's a cove and there's a cliff that you have to walk down. And so you're removed from your car and your car will get the tires slashed, the windows broken, and you will likely get rocks thrown at you along your walk down the path. Um, There's a lot of documented cases. There's been um, legal action taken against some of the local surfers. I don't know if jail time's been spent. There's been lawsuits. A group of Torrance surfers, Torrance is a neighboring city in the South Bay of uh, Los Angeles. There was a group of surfers from Torrance in 1995 who actually filed a $6 million lawsuit against the city of Palos Verdes for essentially looking the other way and allowing, allowing this kind of gang activity to take place and for the police not protecting the outside surfers. I don't know if they won that case or not. But anyways, the localism has been well documented since the 60s. Um, what's happened most recently, the way that I've, um, that I'll tell the story, and you can kind of verify the facts or tell me if, if you heard it differently, was this surfer, uh, he's a pro, former pro bodyboarder named Chris Wan, or Chris Talio is his real name, but Chris Wan is the way that I remember him from the 90s. He basically took to Facebook and read it and uh, started this initiative to invade Lunata Bay on Martin Luther King Day. So, on this month, this past Monday, he started this social media campaign and he was c- referring to it as Aloha Point as opposed to Lunata Bay, saying, You guys can't keep us out. This small group of trust, trust fund babies can't keep out the rest of Southern California. We're going to show up with our wives and families and do a peaceful protest, essentially, and storm the lineup on SUPs, longboards, bodyboards, whatever. And he highly publicized it, took to Facebook, and there was obviously a lot of backlash on Facebook, hundreds and hundreds of comments in each post that he would do. Um, But he spearheaded the movement, and the local media got involved, the local news stations, and uh, ultimately there was a lot of media leading up to this event. The event took place a couple days ago on Monday and really did not deliver as much excitement as maybe uh, we had anticipated. People did show up and they did peacefully protest uh, and the news camera showed up. They documented it on the local news. The police showed up to make sure everything was done peacefully. But ultimately, from what I saw and what I read, I didn't go, but from what I saw not a lot of Chris or his friends paddled out. It looked like there was 10 or 15 surfers in the water. There was 50 or so on the shore in a peaceful protest, but nobody seemed to be paddling out. Um, So I don't know why. And I I think from the outside looking in, it looks like, what are you going to do? Go out there and snake guys? If you do, they'll probably still punch you out in the water. And I don't think the police are going to paddle out and prevent that from happening. So... It was kind of like the local surfers were out there surfing, standing their ground. The local protesters were on the beach standing their ground and nothing got resolved. And I have a feeling once the cameras go away in two or three days, things will resume their normal pattern, you know? <laughs> yeah, you pretty much
1: nailed it. You know, the um, the
0: only thing that I might
1: add to that was that, um, you know, there were, there There was one, I did read one account of a guy paddling out, um, and sort of getting shadowed is the way he, he rephrased it. Okay. So he was shadowed by a couple of guys, a couple of the local guys. And, you know, anytime he stopped, they stopped. Anytime he paddled, they paddled. And they basically covered his right and left flank. So he couldn't catch a wave essentially? yeah, Yeah. And they basically kind of paddled him into the rocks. Okay. More or less. And, um... And there was a lot of stink eye, and um, there was a lot of you know there was some rock throwing, according to this guy, and um, yeah, but I mean I think you're right. At the end of the day, um, you know it's just back to back to normal. Yeah, it's just it's just business as usual. I will say this that um, you know I can appreciate um, a local community of surfers setting up a uh, a standard whereby. Respect is earned, you know, and and after you've spent some time in the water, um, respect should be a two-way street. But unfortunately, sure. at Lunata Bay, respect, I think, is a one-way street. And I think a lot of space places, respect is a one-way street. That word gets thrown around a lot. But if you actually go out there and wait your turn and sit your turn, they're not going to say, hey, yeah, come on, you've earned a spot. You know, they're just going right. to keep on taking advantage of you. And so, at Lunata Bay, that's the case. You know, um, respect is still a one-way street. And it's unfortunate... I learned to surf in a region um, that had cliffs. And you had to go up and down the cliffs. And as kids, we were protective of our lame little spots. You know, they weren't anything like Lenata Bay. But we were basically immature punks, you know. Um, Eventually, we grew out of it. And my take on any of this, I think there's a difference between localism and territorialism. Okay. You know, localism is sort of the thuggery aspect of it. I think everybody has some territorialism in them. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but... And, and this, was, this analogy was referenced a lot online was, you know, if you go to Allen Iverson's basketball court in the Bronx, you just can't roll up and say, hey, throw me the ball. I want to play. You know, you got to kind of earn your way into the game. Okay. And I think that's a pretty good analogy. And I, I think after a certain amount of time on the basketball court, they will let you into the game. Sure. But I don't think that that's the case um, at Lunata Bay. I don't think you're ever going to be invited into the game.
0: I think that there's a lot more demand on a lot more finite resource at Lunata Bay. You know, there there's um, there's other basketball courts probably in the Bronx that you could just walk over to and play there. And it's no different than Iverson's basketball court. The reason you would play on Iverson's court is because you want to play with Iverson. You know what I mean? Whereas Lunana Bay, it's kind of like the waves are the best there. And there's worldwide demand or, or certainly statewide demand that wants those waves. Well,
1: I mean, any I'm talking about any. Any basketball court in New York City. Like if, if, if you and I roll up from Southern California, we're yeah. like, hey, I got my new sneakers. I want to play basketball with you guys. They're going to be like, who's this guy? Right. Of course. And and so I just threw Allen Iverson out there as an example, you know, as a way to kind of spice up the analogy.
0: Yeah. But I think, so the question is, I mean, this, this is one isolated scenario, Lunata Bay. But the reality is we've touched on this scenario when we talk about the North Shore of Hawaii. And it takes place everywhere across the world probably. The question that I ask you is, does localism serve a purpose and does, you know, the means justify the end in protecting a commodity? Does that? Well, I, I think that, I think that, um, I don't know if
1: localism is the word I want to wrap wrap my, th- you know, my answer around, but I think that there is a place for, for um, protecting the resource. Okay. You know, and in some fashion, I sort of, res- I don't know if I respect, but I appreciate the fact that they're holding that they're holding down the spot to a way that it was in the past. I mean, every other spot in Southern California has 75, 100 guys on it when it's all time, or more, as many as it can handle. Anyone's gonna paddle out at any time. Could be 100, could be 150. But there at Lunata Bay, they've done a good job of sort of just keeping it in 1975. And although if I'm the guy that's getting hassled, I'd be bummed. From a thirty thousand foot level looking down on it, I semi appreciate that they're doing it. Okay. I don't think it's right and but I appreciate it. I know that sounds hypocritical or it sounds like I'm not making sense and I'm no, not I I'm not really, you know? It does. But I do I do look at it the ultimate litmus test for me with surfing is Duke. What would Duke Ahonomoku say? If Duke could show up on the beach and see everything that went down there that goes down there would he be, you know, whose blessing would he give? Would he give the blessing to the Lanai Bay locals? Or would he be like, hey, this is not Aloha. This is not cool. This is not what surfing is all about. Right. This does no good. This is an extremely self-absorbing, self-centered reaction. Right. And, and it's childish, quite frankly. It's extremely childish, you yeah. know? Um, and, I, and I think that that's the way the Duke would handle it. Duke would say, this is stupid. You guys are idiots. You know? Right. Like, this is not what I'm about, and this is not what surfing is about
0: okay so from that as however you...
1: w- real quick yeah let me also say that i'm being hypocritical because there are times even where I, at where i surf that i can be um that self-absorbed immature jerk you yeah know? and i'm not proud of it you no. know? and i do my best not to be that way but there are times when there's just too many guys in the lineup and at some point when there's five waves coming in every five minutes and there's 70 dudes somebody's not gonna get a wave. Sure. And oh, by the way, somebody's gonna get a wave. And generally, it's the guys that have been there for a long, long time that have paid their dues that have put their time in at the basketball
0: court. When you're hiring for a small business, you wanna find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Free. that's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free terms and conditions apply we all have that bipolar mentality where it's kind of like you have ideals that you want to try to achieve in these intellectual thoughts and ideals and then you have your animal instinct that kicks in of course so I think we can all relate to that I would in relation to your 30,000 foot argument I think that um the most glaring kind of hypocrisy of it all is just, to me anyways, is how do you establish local versus non-local? Like, were you literally born at that beach on that street? Did you come from the next street over or the block over? And how? And then if that is the case, is that the only place that you surf? When Rencon's pumping, do you not go surf RenCon? Because if you're that committed to your local spot, then... You can't no, go surfing. I think when you go
1: to Rincon, you realize you're not that guy. That there are those guys there, and then you but take your place in the proper hierarchy. They're not.
0: They're not allowing people to take place in their hierarchy. And I'm they're not throwing, throwing rocks at them, and preventing them from even. And I don't approaching. agree with that. But I'm so, just saying in, in general, like yeah, when
1: I go to Rincon or wherever sure. I go, I'm generally pulling back the reins and going, "Hey, I'm a visitor here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna chill out and take that's, some leftovers." Which and,
0: is a different example than the way that they're running right, things that are right. not a bed. So my point is just that again, that's. Hypocritical yes. to just say yes. you're not allowed to surf here, but by the way, we're still going to go surf elsewhere. So, and that was a great argument that was brought up online as well, which is the case many, many times. Because as you
1: know, Lanana Bay doesn't break that often. It's no. a wintertime spot. That whole peninsula doesn't break that often. Yeah. There are winners when it's epic, and then there are winners when there's nothing. And those guys are in
0: South Bay or they're driving down the Lowers or whatever. Exactly. So, how do you define yourself as local in that situation? You know, and that, I. If I might interrupt, I tried to
1: write. I wrote a piece about this once, defining what what the different um, sort of categories of local are. Like, there's the guy that was born there. There's the guy that moved there that went to high school there. There's right. the guy that maybe moved there when he was 25, but has put in 20 years exactly. there. You know? Exactly. There's um, there's all these different levels of that, and I and I got lambasted um, by Lewis Samuels and a bunch of other people when I was just trying to kind of define it i was trying to find Mm -hmm. categories
0: sure yeah because in some situations i would argue that the guy that's moved there 25 years ago but put in a solid 25 years has more right to the spot than the guy who was just born there and never had to work for it you know what i mean and and there's examples where the opposite is true it's just that—that's the problem, right? Yeah. Because
1: there's just—it's just too ambiguous. You know? it, is that the right word? It's
0: just too—it's too, it's too yeah, fluid. Yeah, it is totally. To, so so that is one kind of point about localism in general. The it's s- not defined, right? That's what you're saying. It's Basically not defined, you can, and you
1: cannot define it.
0: So the fact that you guys are trying to draw this. Why boundary- are you seeing you guys? You're looking at me. Like- Sorry. The fact <laughs> that one of those the guys. fact that Lunata Bay locals are trying to make it very definitive is counterintuitive, you know, because there's no way to really define it anyways. But the second point, and kind of related to how would Duke view this is... Wait,
1: real quick. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt again, but I have a friend, a couple of friends that grew up in Lunata. Okay. They've moved away since. They haven't been back in 20 years. And they know that they can't go back there and fit back into the lineup. Just to kind of highlight your point. Sure.
0: So the second point which relates to the first and relates to your point about Duke and the 30,000 foot level is like, look, we are a community here. So we're local by the sheer fact that we're a community of surfers and we have this shared common ground. And this is an extreme example, but like I've learned, I enjoy things more when I share things, whether it's a meal or a nice bottle of wine or a movie or whatever, like, I'd prefer to have my close friends there and share that with them. I wouldn't like to have a hundred friends there. There wouldn't be a lot of the meal to go around, but you want to find some sort of a happy medium. The point is just that the mentality of sharing and giving and having that open exchange, you get more value out of the experience. Once your mentality shifts to this is a commodity that I now want to protect, the fun goes away. And even if it is uh, for good intention, once it's in your own mind and once you make that mentality shift, the surfing becomes less fun. you know. And yeah, maybe you're surfing Lunata Bay for 20 years by yourself, but if you're a tough guy about it and you're in that constant state of being a tough guy and always in protection mode and I might need to throw a rock when I get down to the beach today, I would argue you're no longer enjoying it. So from that that high level looking over, I don't even want to be a part of Lunada Bay. I, you guys can have it. There's a ton of great waves elsewhere. And kind of the same thing with the North Shore, where do I really want to put the amount of effort involved to go there and fight for waves? No, dude, there's fantastic waves a lot of other places in the world where they're welcoming. And um, and there is a hierarchy that exists in those lineups too, and you got to be respectful when you go. But I'm not going to get hit in the head with a rock when I go. And so I think that you have to kind of look at it from that space and just do you want to be the tough guy who's always in protection mode or do you want to just enjoy the act of surfing and share with others the act well, of
1: surfing? Well, I, I will say this. You absolutely nailed it right then. I, I, that ideal is perfect and it's something that I personally struggle with a lot because unfortunately I have this hideous self-imposed baggage that, that I carry with me sometimes. This like... this um, This this uh false self-entitlement yeah at, at, at certain spots where i serve and 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 it's work it is mental anguish to, it is to to, to to do what you're saying you know like to or to you know to carry that with me and um and i really appreciate what you said because it really sinks in with me personally like it's something that
0: i'm trying to yeah. to overcome it's hard to be in a constant state of zen, you know, and always be there. You but seem to
1: be there. <laughs> no, I'm
0: definitely not. But but that is where you want to be. And that's what surfing is. And that's what surfing represents. And you bring up Duke, you know, that's what Duke represents. And so, I don't know. This is kind of the opposite of that. You nailed it. You know? I'm, saying,
1: I'm thinking you nailed it right well, now. You, were, you so, inspired me, David. I'm okay. not kidding. I'm like, I'm psyched on what you just said.
0: Well, let me inspire you further by saying... The crowds are inevitable. If you live in Southern California or the North Shore, for that matter, the crowds are coming. There's no way to fend it off, and so you're fighting a losing battle. If you are those guys in Lunata Bay, yeah. I hate to tell you. You know, so yeah. I don't know about that though. I would say mm. that
1: look, we admitted at the beginning of this segment that that it's back to normal. Like they sort of won, mm. in my opinion. They showed well, up. They were enforced down there. They weren't letting people get past their little area down there. I've been down there.
0: Yeah.
1: And um you know, they had the the Chris Wan or whoever started this protest. They had their moment, but it, as you know, it was sort of like um lackluster and now it's back to normal. And as you mentioned the geography there, I think it's just going to stay the same way it is. And and also as you know, the cops, it seems like they just showed up to say they showed up. They still yeah. like to turn the other cheek because these are all, those cops are run by those residents that pay taxes to pay for that cop department. And believe me, they know who their boss is. And yeah. there's a bunch of really well-off, long-established Los Angeles people, like judges, bigwigs that live up there and play golf up there. And it's, it is like, if there was ever like, you know how they say old money, like in New England, like there's like New York old money, you know? Yeah. That's where the old money is in Los Angeles. It's on the Palisades
0: Peninsula. I, I don't want to get into a big debate about that, um, but Why not? I do. Well, <laughs> no, just kidding. Because it's not necessarily surf related, and it's politics yeah. and all that. But, but I I agree with you in a sense, but I also could present counter arguments. What I will say in in relation to whether or not they will reign forever yeah. is, even Rome fell. You know what I mean? They're not gonna rain forever. You're just like you're just hitting home runs with these clubs. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true. It's kinda like they won this little battle maybe where the press is gonna go away and they'll continue to surf their waves for another ten, maybe it's twenty years. But again, they're gonna do it with that pit bull mentality and enjoy it less than maybe you or I would enjoy going and surfing San Onofre with a bunch of our friends this weekend. Yeah. You know? Huh. So who won who won the battle, who won the war and
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I don't even want to be in that war.
0: There's two books that were written about this. um, Novels that I found on the Encyclopedia of Surfing. One is called The Tribes of Palos Verdes by Joy Nicholson. And um, I guess it's semi-autobiographical. It's a novel. It's based on her experience surfing there as a young teen. And then the, the other one is kind of a book about politics written in 1956. But he references um, the ugly picture of surfing in Palos Verdes, and that's called The Ninth Wave by Eugene Burdick. And um, so, again, talking no, about... 1956? The book was published in 56. Wow. And it's, again, it's... You guys a, have been assholes for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a book about politics, but I guess he references his surf experience there. Huh. So, crazy, right? Yeah, that is weird.
1: I know that, you know, the PV Cove was was like the surf club, Palos Verdes Surf Club, and they, Surf those big wooden coop boxes out there at that big left there that goes into, you know, that's outside of Haggerty's out there.
0: A lot of history. We should have commissioned Chaz Smith to write a book about it. I ran into Chaz Smith. No way. Yeah,
1: yeah. It was cool to talk. You know, we just kind of said, hey, you know, we were like. How
0: did you recognize one another?
1: I know what he looks like, you know. I'd seen pictures of him and I rolled down my room. Hey, you know, I interviewed you. Saw Chaz written on his cup. (laughs) (laughs) He's a cool guy. He's a good stuff. Okay, cool. Did you get any more juice out of him? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, like I say, it was like in passing. Like okay. I was in my car, and he okay. was walking across the street, and I was I rolled down the window as I was driving, you know. Okay, cool. Yeah. But yeah, man, that'd be a good book, right? Yeah, we're well. David's referencing Chaz Smith's um, "Welcome to Paradise, Now Go to
0: Hell," which is a great, fun read about the North Shore of Oahu. Which we we covered, and you interviewed Chaz, and people should look up that episode because it's actually really good, and they should read the book as well. Um, since we talked about it, though, uh, Zach. Weisberg at the Inertia wrote a review on the book. Did you read his review? No, no, I didn't. It's pretty good. It's pretty insightful, and he has some skin in the game, so to speak. You know, um, uh, he has a relationship with Chaz, and it kind of spawned the Inertia, and um, so it. It's not like a necessarily a great book report, but it gives kind of more background and insight and juicy gossip into the whole politics behind it. So I w- I'll post that on Surf Splendor Podcast so you guys can read that if you want. Um, and then Chaz did an interview with a local television station in San Diego. Um, I'll post that as well. Did you watch I that by that, no. I don't even know what station it is, but it was just like San Diego News or something. Yeah. The interviewer was the worst uh, anchor interviewer ever. Uh, just yeah. like this really high energetic, high energy balding overweight dude in a suit you know trying to relate his scuba diving experience to the surfing experience uh, and Chaz is of course in his um in his jeans. yeah helmet lang jacket and tight <laughs> jeans and uh trying to deflect the guy's enthusiasm and just kind of get to the points so it's pretty funny just to watch their interaction uh, okay cool so.
1: Well, um, you know, sadly, I want to mention that um, here in Southern California, Bruce Jones passed away. Uh, if you don't know, Bruce Jones was uh, one of California's, uh, an icon, really, a shaping icon in Orange County in the Huntington Beach, Sunset Beach uh, area. And um, it sort of happened unexpectedly. I don't think anyone expected it. I, I want to say he was 59 years old. And 69. 69, okay. Well, that's still young. 69 yeah. is still young. Still actively working. Yeah, I think, wasn't he and... working that day? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure either. But anyway, he was a big part of um, my show, The Boardroom Surfboard Show. And, um, he was one of my clients and just a really great guy and a super uh, incredible craftsman. And one of the guys that doesn't get enough credit, you know, and he was um, a, you know well regarded amongst all of the surfboard craftsmen.
0: He's had his business um, on PCH, which is Pacific Coast Highway. It's Highway 1 that runs through the West Coast of the United States. Um uh, And he had his business on PCH, main thoroughfare, right in, outside of Huntington Beach, just north of Huntington Beach, since 1973. And so that's where I grew up. It's just, you know, uh, a business that I would see all the time, driving up and down PCH. And I've been in there a lot and shopped in there a lot since I was a kid. So, um, but he, to give people a background into Bruce Jones' importance to the surf industry, because... Very likely, if you're listening to this, you've been influenced by him in some way. Um, he worked with Hobie, Hobie Alter at Hobie Surfboards, Gordy Surfboards, and even Dick Brewer Shaping Boards. Um, he started in the gluing department at Hobie, worked his way up to be a shaper. He also worked at Clark Foam, cutting stringers and making custom uh, rockers for shapers. He was the number one beta tester for the uh, modified Hitachi hand planer, which is a common tool that shapers use. So he helped um, identify, you know, and modify that tool for surfboard shaping by finding proper hand angles, cord placement, um, that sort of thing. He designed blanks for Clark Foam and for U.S. Blanks. So a lot of the foam blanks that current shapers are buying and using and making surfboards out of were designed by bruce jones and uh he was still shaping boards daily his son brock has been shaping daily with him for years and it looks like brock will be taking over the business and continuing the business and the legacy so that's good to see but um yeah just a hugely influential surfboard shaper and uh passed away from a heart attack on saturday january 14th so sad sad moment for surfing and you yeah. will be
1: missed. Yeah, we lost a good one.
0: Yeah. Um, tell me about your trip to Panama. Yeah. Dude, so I went to Panama. Yeah. Um, spent uh, like nine days down there. The waves looked fun. Dude, the, the photos waves. photos that you oh were sending gosh. out was
1: jonesing because it was flat here when you were down. There. Oh, really?
0: Yeah. yeah, no, it was pumping, man. Um, so I guess Panama, there's multiple places to surf, but really the place to go is on the Caribbean side. Um. A little island chain called Bocas del Toro, and so Mick Fanning just released that movie missing yeah, with Taylor Steele made it. yeah, he does a segment there that was filmed that actually all of the media that was put out, the main photos of that big right point break, big peak, yeah. like a right hander yeah um was down there at a spot called Silverbacks. And so there's a lot of other surf uh, media that's come out of there in recent years that I'm now aware of because I was there. But basically, it's in the Caribbean, so the water's really beautiful and blue. It's... um, Tons of windswell, right? It's all like close period
1: windswell from the Caribbean. Yeah. The sea.
0: And it's really picturesque. It almost looks like Indonesia. Yeah. There's a lot of these mangroves and the rainforest comes right up to the beach. Like
1: dark sand.
0: It's it's light sand, real fine light sand, but rainforest right up to the water. Crocodiles, crocs, totally. There's a crocodile pit between our dock and our hotel that you have to walk over. That's scary. It was yeah, but really beautiful, and um, the waves, every type of wave, like punchy, dumping beach break barrels. I've
1: seen some great beach break right on the sand, right on the sand, and you had photos like that too as
0: well. And then point breaks and then that spot silverback that I was talking about Mick Fanning scored where it's like this heavy kind of slabby right reef break. And when is a
1: good time of year to go there? Now. Like our winter. Yeah, the southern, basically. The northern
0: hemisphere winter. And there's a lot of spots to surf and there's a thousand islands, but you need a tour guide. So um, I'm going to do a, an episode. Uh, I recorded an episode while I was there. It's going to be called Anatomy of a Surf Trip. So it'll be documenting the trip, and I'll explain kind of the guy that we were with, and um, he's the guy. You know, yeah. like Julian stayed with him, Dion Aegeus, yeah. like everybody who goes there stays with him. Yeah. Because you need a boat. Everything's accessible by boat. Yeah. And. How yeah. are the boats? How big is it? Is it a panga, like a 20-foot panga? Yeah. Yeah. Comfortable exactly. enough? Totally. Yeah. If you have a small crew with a cameraman yeah. and, you know, whatever. And some spots you have to shoot from the boat if you're going to be videoing or shooting photos. Is that's scary. Um yeah but but it's a lot of rain rain squalls you know and you see it on the horizon and you know you got 20 minutes to kind of get from here to there so it, it's an adventure but great waves to be had warm water beautiful and, people and great fishing great right? fishing. that's the
1: upside is that if you just happen to go there and, and you maybe get skunked for a day or two there's an unreal
0: fishing there yeah and the other thing is like You can surf two foot swell there. You know, there's spots that break at two feet. Right. And then there's spots that break at 10 feet. Yeah. So you can... So you're in the water a lot. In the water a lot. It's warm. You're in trunks. You're stoked. So we had a really good trip in terms of waves. I got annihilated, dude, with fire ant bites that got infected. Oh my God. It just got...
1: I'm looking at David's feet and uh, it looks like Fukushima, dude. Dude. You've got some issues there.
0: I got bit by these ants. And uh, they got, they turned into blisters within like 20 minutes and my feet got swollen and it was a nightmare. Antibiotics? I'm on what? an antibiotic, which has also had some really weird side effects. I feel like I'm on some hallucinogenic drug or uh, something. So, you are. <laughs> it's like been are. wild, dude. It was a wild trip, well, but, but a successful trip in terms of waves. So. Good. I'm glad you had a good time. Yeah, I'll post um, that episode. It'll take a while to produce. There's going to be a lot of post-production work involved. And then um, video and photos and all that will go out with that episode. So stay tuned for that. Cool.
1: Well, um, I went to Surf Expo in early January in Florida, Orlando, the big surfing uh, trade show. And it was great. And uh, sort of the highlight of that was the East Coast Surfing Hall of Fame Inductions, which they do every two years Mm -hmm. there. And I'm really green to uh, East Coast surfing history. Me too. You know, I don't know much about it. I should know a lot more. Um, but it's been really f- um, enlightening and fun and, um, to learn about it all. You know, And, and so this year the inductees were, um, let's see, uh, Greg Mungle. Okay. You know, Greg. Greg yeah. Greg's actually a transplant. He, he came from Florida and came here. Um, in the 70s and ran Herbie Fletcher's surf shop and uh, factory. And Greg was just like, and still is a super red hot surfer. And back in the late 70s, early 80s, he was just incredible, really fast and powerful. And um, who else? Shay Lopez. Oh, wow. Shay Lopez inducted. Mike Martin, who many of you may not know, but Mike Martin was the head judge for the ASP for seven years. And he's an East Coaster. A guy named uh, Nemo, Mike Nemnich, which who is a great artist, and uh, and is now like a renowned, you know, like high end artist, I guess you would say fine art. Fine art, thank you. Dean Randazzo, who we all know has been battling cancer numerous times, and is an incredible surfer. Donnie Mulhern, who's Pat Mulhern's father, and Donnie, originally, I just found this out this morning. Donnie and Pat were from California and moved to Florida when they were when Pat was young and ran one of Dick Katri's surf shops over there or factories over there. So um Donnie hum humious? help me not. Posthumously. He's passed away. Anyway, oh, he was posthumous, posthumous thank you. Crystal Crystal Rover, who is a legendary women surfer from uh, the East Coast. Les Shaw, who's an industry guy who um Ran one of the big surf shops there, and a guy named David Balserac who they called DCB. So anyway, these were the ten inductees, and it was great fun uh, listening to the induction speeches. And and, and I get, I just got to say that the East Coast um, surfing culture and the people there are really uh, not just fine, nice people, but they're really enthusiastic. I mean, yeah. they are just um, they really embrace who they are and their surfing and their surfing roots and. Uh, it was really neat to see. It kind of reminded me of the way the Australians are. I got
0: a uh, Facebook message a while back from a guy in England about the podcast and like sharing his thoughts. But he was kind of opened my eyes to the history of surfing in the u k and uh, was he was saying, you know that there's a lot of stories to be told. and it made me realize how egocentric kind of my vision is. and it's like Southern California, the industry's based here. We got so much, content we could produce out of here that we just focus on this but realistically man i would love to get out there or to europe or to the east coast of the u.s for that matter and just really excavate and spend time and you can in terms of creating podcast content it's like you could line up years worth of content with shapers and surfers and different important people you know So I think that's a direction I'd like to go, you know, if ultimately we're able to kind of monetize it and find a way to finance things like that. I would love to go do a real journalistic kind of endeavor and and podcast series in the UK, you know, that'd be huge.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, um, I want to say that the UK has... um, They've got a lot of our listeners. Like I get a lot of emails from the UK, and I've been like I've been to Hawaii, and people go, "Oh, you're, I've been listening to your podcast for X number of years," and I can't believe I'm you know, and I'm just humbled. Like, wow, yeah, really? Oh,
0: cool, yeah. I'm the guy, you know, whatever, you know. Like, a, so they're 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 big fans of the show. Well, like we've seen things in recent years of Ireland and waves that are written there, but it's when you think about it, like England, Scotland, Wales, like it's all. Coastline. There's coastline everywhere. Know. You know, there's there's guys surfing all those spots. Yeah. And uh very little media coverage of any of it. So
1: And and you know, you bring up Ireland and and earlier, you know, in the beginning of the show we were talking about the big wave season. We sort of left that off the oh, plate. Yeah. You know, but, um, you know, we've been gone for a month, so there's a lot that we're not gonna cover, but certainly Ireland is right in the double XL running and Bill Sharp, the guy who runs the double XL, is just giddy because he's got so much content these last, you know month and a half has just been incredible for him and um and there's more to come you know friday we've got mavericks and mavericks is breaking right now so
0: do you get sponsored by the big wave tour before this episode or no
1: it's just it's, <laughs> you
0: know what it's usually what i fill this season
1: with right yeah. before the asp tours kicks off in late february it's usually big wave talk
0: yeah yeah for sure um so asp uh for 2014 there's a couple of changes that we should probably discuss really briefly so as not to bog down the show with ASP talk. Yeah. Um, I'd say, first of all, surprisingly few changes have been released by them. They've been really tight-lipped. And on their website, it even says they have a banner at the top that now says the new ASP.com, ASPWorldTour.com is coming next month. Oh, so, really? so they're they're letting us they're know. They're feeling
1: the pressure that we're putting on them. Like, yeah,
0: because I've, you know, I've, that's the one thing I hear is where are the changes? Dude. It's January 22nd, and they've told us very little of... They've, they've, everybody's saying there's huge changes to come, new ownership, and they've said very little. There
1: was an article in the new Pacific Longboarder that my friend uh, John Brazen uh, puts out, JB in um, Australia, Pacific Longboarder Magazine. And it was with Rod Brooks, who is, was with Quicksilver forever. His son was Troy Brooks, who was on the tour in the 90s or the 2000s. And anyway... Superman Air... That's yeah. what he was known for. Okay, for. there you go. I would not have known that. Yep. That's a random thought, fact, toyed. Um, Rod Brooks said, you know, basically what I read when I read Between the Lines was, there's not going to be as many changes as you think. Okay. That's, that's what I got from it. Okay. You know, and I'll, I'll let well, me go from there.
0: The biggest change that was just announced is that they're doing away with the one world ranking system. Right. So kind of going back to the way it used to be, basically, yeah. where there's the world qualifying series... And there's the World Championship Tour. And so the way that the 2015 ASP Tour will look, meaning a year from now, is that the top 10 finishers from the World Qualifying Series will qualify for the the, the CT. CT. So there's 32 surfers. I should say there's 34 surfers on the World Championship Tour, the WCT. That's comprised of the top 22... From that tour from the previous year and then the top 10 from the qualifying series. So those last 10 spots, if you did not make the top 22 on the CT, you're going to get replaced by the top 10 from the QS. And can the CT surfers qualify on the QS? They can, but those points don't go towards your CT ranking. Right. Okay, I got you. So guys like Brett Simpson that were on the bubble in this past year was able to re-qualify because points that he got from the QS added to the points that he had from the CT. So you got to do a lot of work if you're in the back part of that CT um, uh, ratings board, right? Specifically, you're going to have to surf more contests. Right. Yeah. So if, you're, if it looks like you're going to be in between spots 23 and 32 on the CT, for those who are currently on the CT, if you're going to be in that back 10, you want to start doing QS events and garnering enough points on that tour alone to qualify in the top 10 of the QS. I think
1: what we're going to want to look for is after the Australian leg, and I think there's three events. I think there's Margaret River, Correct. Snapper, and Bells. Correct. If you're a guy on the tour that didn't do well in those three events, you're all of a sudden looking at those prime QS uh, events, and you're going, I need to sign up for those. I need to be in those because things aren't going my way on the CT. That would be a wise decision. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, the other... And I was saying there's 34 surfers on that tour, 22 plus the 10 from the QS. The other two people are ASP wildcards.
1: Not injury wildcards? They're
0: They're ASP wildcards specifically. I don't know if one of them's an injury and one of them, I don't know. I think you're right. They probably are injury wildcards. And then there's usually sponsor wildcards in specific events in addition to that. How do they get in? The sponsor wild guards so dane more, reynolds into, so there'll be
1: more than 34 in an event well
0: on the tour there's 34 but in an event maybe there's 36 right. maybe okay. there's that's the way that works um so yeah you mentioned margaret river was added karamas is back that's worth noting um and also on the women's world tour they added fiji and trestles to that event hmm. or to that to that tour so Those are the only changes that have been released as of now.
1: Well, I know that um, my my fantasy surfer club's getting geared up. We're going to do a thing this year where we 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 award prizes for each individual event, and then of course, an end of the year cumulative uh, award will be given. So sweet. Our little private club. We're all geeked up. Sweet. Yeah. Um, Let's see. I've got um, one final thing here. I've got. um, Well, do you have a best song ever?
0: Oh. Not really. No? You don't have any Stevie Wonder for me? or <laughs> I could pull some up real quick. Uh,
1: you got something? You know what? I do, but um, I'm going to save it. Why don't we just save That's both cool. of those for next time? Let's save it. Yeah, we'll save it. And, um, and you can see uh, my must-see TV, which I mentioned is the Jaws. Uh, it's basically a montage of three great rides at jaws
0: my must-see moment is mikala jones uh gopro video he released this week did you see that no so mikala jones uh hawaiian surfer who's transplanted to indonesia for the past few years yeah lives a real nomadic life and surfs most notably that wave apocalypse which yeah. is just like this huge right that detonates onto dry reef it's kind of a closeout barely yeah. makeable and then dry reef on the end um That's what he's known for surfing, and he just gets barreled all the time. But he released a a GoPro video, which was probably the best one ever a year ago. He just released a brand new one, and what's unique about it is the angles. He's shooting it underwater while he's surfing and traveling in the barrel. So it's off almost like the tail pad of the board, underwater right behind the fins. So you just see his fins... Tracking through the water in the barrel and pumping and doing turns and stuff. It looks incredible. So he'll pull it out of the water. So it'll be like one motion shot of like under the water with his fins tracking and then you'll see the camera move and come through the barrel and then be, like, in the barrel with him looking out the barrel.
1: Oh, that's great. I, I want to see that. And we can see that on surfsplendorpodcast.com, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah.
0: And I'll post it on Facebook and all that yeah. kind of stuff, too. It's a it's a pretty epic little video. I'm going to steal it from you. Put it on download. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, no. Definitely. <laughs> um, well,
1: look. Um, I guess until next week. No, dude. Duke and Kook. Oh, I don't have a – I haven't even gotten there. I'm a little uh,
0: – Unprepared. That's okay. I'll give you two real quick. Yeah. Uh, the Duke could be none other than Bruce Jones. Um, so I think to touch on what you said as well, where he's kind of under the radar, he, he's well known in Southern California, maybe under the radar outside Southern California. So, you know, he's the Duke for that reason where in a, in a modern day where it's all about shameless self-promotion and selfies have built people's careers Bruce quietly toiled away, producing boards, making, designing blanks, and uh, really populating the world with surfboards, you know, for 40-plus for years. And, and I'll add to that
1: that there are some really neat Bruce Jones surfboards right here at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. And um, we forgot to mention in the beginning, and I need to do this because it's important, that uh, David and I are broadcasting from the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center Broadcasting studios here in San Clemente, and if you get a chance, come by and check out this incredible museum. It's a it's a great place, and you'll see tons of insane surfboards and a lot more.
0: And uh, your kook kook. I'm going to leave you with kind of a philosophical close out the show. Uh-oh. Kook it out, philosophical. Oh, you're
1: going left field on me here
0: again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not a, not a, as big of a diatribe, but. In relation to kind of New Year's resolutions, kook of the week is uh, social media and uh, the World Wide Web just for zapping all of my time, basically. All right. I need to get off of it and spend more time in the water. It's like I've designed my life to be around surfing where my job's related to it and I get to go to Panama and stuff like that. But I didn't surf once in Panama. I was there working. And... um, Now we've got swell at home and it's like, I haven't really surfed that much. And it's like, my time is just, while my life is all about surfing, I seem to be spending less time in the water and I wake up in the morning and I look at my phone and check Instagram for 10 minutes and then check it 10 minutes later and then 10 minutes later. And it's like, how
1: did you go to Panama and not go surfing? I don't understand. I was hired
0: to film on the surf trip
1: you got to write that into your rider and your contract.
0: Dude, tell me about it. I actually That's brought... horrible. I brought boards. Oh, you're I kidding. Loved, Nobody said, hey, you should go catch a few? The spot we were staying didn't have waves right out in front. So every time we wanted to surf, it's like load up the boat and go. At which point, it's my job to film. That's what right. I'm being paid to do. Right. So, All right. Well, but no, it's a you nightmare. you got to change that. Dude. Trust me, dude. That's what I'm There's saying. There's a reason
1: why I don't take photos or videos anymore.
0: <laughs> it's a nightmare. It's, it's kind of like...
1: Wor- it's like It's like, you know, they're... dangling the carrot in front of you and then saying no you can't
0: eat it it's part of my new year's resolution is to
1: never again that will never happen
0: well is to redesign surfing into my life you know it's like as much as my life revolves around it the act itself has slowly kind of faded into the back i'd invite
1: you to come down to my spot but it's a local break and i can't tell you where it is thanks a lot No,
0: you're welcome Anytime. You're, yeah, the right.
1: idea No, I'm serious. I am completely sincere. I want you to come down and enjoy. It's not mine to give. It's yours to take.
0: All right, dude. I'll be there. Yeah. I'm going to take the
1: set waves. You do that. <laughs> I'll be in front
0: of so, you. <laughs> so, kook of the week, though, man, is just, I feel like I'm blaming social media for sure. taking my time. So, screw social media, dude. Okay, all right. I'm off of it. Fair enough. Right. By the way, follow me at Surf Splendor on Instagram and Facebook.
1: <laughs> yeah, by the way, yeah, plug away. Yeah. Um, you know what? The, I'll leave with this. We've got the boardroom coming up. And we're really excited about it. Again, it's May 17th and 18th. Uh, all the major surfboard manufacturers and um, all the, the local manufacturers are, as well are involved. And uh, it's going to be good, man. Who are you what guys
0: are you? celebrating this year? Uh, ben Ipa. Thanks Sweet. for asking. Yeah, ben
1: Ipa, the guy that invented the Sting.
0: And is it the sting or the yeah, stinger? Yeah, no, I was,
1: I was, uh, I learned that it's the sting, not the stinger. No, all the other ones are stingers, but gotcha. this is called the sting. So I want to pay, um, you know, proper respects to Mister Ipa and get that correct. So the sting, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to have all sorts of legendary uh, characters there, dude. I'll be there, Delmar Seventeenth and Eighteenth. I want
0: to do live podcasts from there. I need you to do that. Let's do it. If I. Per, per, actually go through like producing and lining people up. Will you sit in for the hour? I will. If you can
1: do that, I will promise you forty-five minutes.
0: Can you allocate a space for me
1: to do it? Yes.
0: We can almost make it like do part it. of the show. Like come and watch it live. Yes. All right. We can do that. All right. Cool. Let's do that.
1: All right. Done deal. So mm-hmm. until next time, so, I'm at download. Well, oh, go ahead.
0: Yeah. Well until next time but when is next time we said we want to do this weekly yes are we going to do
1: this weekly we we have to do it weekly
0: well that's what we said and then it was supposed to be tuesday and then it ended up being wednesday and then it was going to be 11 then it was 12 if we can't even get the first one on the books (laughs) how are we going to get the second one and the third one can
1: we do it yes we can we need to do it Uh, that's my new year's resolution is let's commit to trying to do it because we have to get traction as you know yeah to get a
0: sponsor that's like, hey, we like what you do and you do it every week, and I want to be involved in this. So, my schedule is flexible and I can make it work whenever, but at the same time, I think we should just pick a date and make it the same date every time. I listeners agree. can now know like when it'll be uploaded at this time every week, you know.
1: Um, and so, Tuesdays aren't good for you, Tuesdays work, dude. That's
0: fine. Okay, Tuesdays are good for me. So, let's do like Tuesday at noon. So, let's aim for Tuesday at noon for the listeners. That means Probably Tuesday evening, you can can download the show. Yeah, it
1: should be Tuesday evening, you should download the show.
0: Weekly or every other week? Weekly. Weekly. What do you think? What do you say? I would love to do weekly, but what's practical? Um, Every other week is practical. Let's do every other week. I'm doing Surf Splendor every other Monday, so then let's do this every... The opposing... Alright. Every
1: other Tuesday, I'm going to put it in my calendar. Okay.
0: So listeners, we need you to hold us accountable. If we're not doing it every other Tuesday, send some hate mail to scott bass at <laughs>
1: no. no i'm at down the line my email is surf san diego at gmail.com surf diego at
0: gmail.com and david's email is hello at surf podcast.com also on social media at surf or facebook.com forward slash surf splendor continue the conversation with us right yeah
1: please do get us and get involved in the show without you guys we can't do it so um keep shooting us the emails and the instagrams and the and by the way next time let's touch on all that we've got so many great emails and instagrams and tweets from you guys and we want to acknowledge you all and we appreciate it and uh, we got some good stuff and we'll we'll get to that next time let's promise to do that next tuesday Tuesday. a week from two weeks from today two weeks all right until then
0: adios That's today's show. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to Scott Bass for co-hosting, and thanks to the Surfing Heritage and Cultural Center for allowing us to broadcast in San Clemente. Um, I'll post a link to their website on our website, SurfSplendorPodcast.com, and uh, they've got a great website and just a, an amazing resource for surfing history. So definitely spend some time on that. Check it out. All the links to everything that we discussed in today's show will also be on surfsplendorpodcast.com. So uh, you can waste some time there. And again, I appreciate you listening and I appreciate you sharing this show with a friend. Also, if you listen in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen, make sure to rate the show. And I'd also appreciate if you left a review for it there, good, bad, or ugly. Um, Just that helps people find the show and then also reading those reviews helps them commit to whether they want to listen or not and uh it's just kind of a good deed for for other listeners thanks again appreciate it this is your host david scales signing off and saying mahalo